Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. All right, Brad, welcome back. Whatever. Hi. Hey, man. It was good while it lasted. It was good while it lasted. <laughs> the, the people loved it, Evan. You should know the people loved it. It was actually a little bit hurtful how much. No, I'm kidding. I'm not. But like people genuinely would not shut up about how great it was to hear from you. There, was, there were listeners who only started listening within like the last, I don't know, however long it was between the last time Brad was missing, missing, and now. And they were like, holy shit, like Evan knows what he's talking about. And we're like, oh, yeah. It's just, <laughs> of course I do. <laughs> it's pulling teeth to get him to say anything about it. I'm so. a man of the people. Uh, if anyone wants Evan to talk more, direct all your complaints to at Brad Crisco. I had at Brad Crisco tweets upset I wasn't there. You're not going to mention that out? No, no, burner no. Burner accounts? Yeah, those were all your burners, buddy. Yeah, I, I run Peter's account, actually. I took, <laughs> I went over to his house and took the picture of the screen from his living room. <laughs> okay, You're just that dedicated was... to the cause. <laughs> those tweets we got from peter were funny as hell like the him turning off the tv like i i cracked up at that and then like the fourth tweet about brad being gone i was like okay we get it (laughs) we all love brad um this is why peter's my favorite brad i'm gonna go to making fun of you in like one second here evan and i will both do it about you know the incident um but first in the spirit of me not being as big of an asshole as I sometimes am to you. It is incredibly difficult to do this two-manned, especially when you filling the void with your words gives me so much time to maneuver through notes. The amount of mistakes that I made last episode, I woke up to like four different people that saying, you said Moritz Sider never played in the AHL. And I was like, I said he never played in the NHL. They're like, no, you said AHL. I was like, I'm certain I said NHL. Went back and listened. I said AHL because I was looking at a note with a header that said AHL like an idiot. I didn't catch it. No, and that's what Brad's good for. Brad either gives me the time to pull up the notes or Brad will will call it, like call us out on it and immediately correct it. Anyways, so Brad, your your presence wasn't a complete success for Evan and I, though it was therapeutic. And though we were happier than we'd have ever been in our entire lives and our friendship grew and this podcast grew and I don't know, the world just felt a little bit better. You being back does present some small but noticeable uh, benefits. What I took from that is stop correcting you on the mistakes I pick out so that I can watch Twitter call you an idiot in between episodes. <laughs> Yeah, if you have it, if you can suppress the part of you to like suppress like the Rain Man part of your head that like has all the hockey trivia. Not that the mistake that I made was hockey trivia more than just idiocy, uh, but then yeah, you can watch me crash and burn. Um, so Mika, she's doing okay. She's doing fine. Yeah. How many? How many stitches? I think it ended up being four. It's not bad. The picture you showed was gnarly. Like that. Oh, it was a split open. It was a big hole in her face. (laughs) Okay, Brad, be honest. Who shot the puck? Oh, it was me. (laughs) We knew it right away. No, yeah. And the the funny thing is, we were playing hockey, but she had stopped playing and it was just me and Hank. And she just, it was one of those fluky ones. So the quick version of it is Hank 
is he just sees puck or ball has stick hit puck. He can hit it really hard and better than any one and a half year old I've ever seen, but he's just shoot puck hits net makes noise when it hits the bar. Dad makes a big deal. Hanky loves it. Then Hanky started shooting it at me. So, okay. Now he wants to pass to me. Cool. This is a new concept he's learned. So I was just hammering them into the net hits puck hits net makes big noise. Hanky freaks out. We all love it. And Sorry, then one Hank hit passing the puck, he definitely did not learn from you. No, yeah, this is this is a new family <laughs> trait. It's uncharted waters. And then just one hit the post at a weird angle and launched across the basement right to where Mika was playing with her toys, and that was the day. Yeah, Evan said he's like for sure it was Brad who just like ripped some tryhard shot off the post and it ended up hitting Mika, and then he had that father's guilt the whole day. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Thousand percent. Well, uh, she's tough as nails, as anyone who's ever oh. met Mika will know. So um, happy she got through those stitches. Happy to have you back. Happy to be back at the Winged Wheel Podcast. Welcome to the show, everyone. Uh, a jerk. I'm Ryan Hanna. And I'm Evan. <laughs> and I'm Evan. <laughs> We're going to have to sort this out, boys. Um, all right. On this episode of the podcast, in addition to uh, telling stories about um fatherhood we're gonna be talking about the red wings uh some prospects on the red wings some prospects or young players from around the league because i have some morbid facts for you guys uh i'm sure we'll continue the coaching conversation that we brought up last episode in the spirit of allowing brad to participate in that debate and then we'll get into uh news about uh prospect rankings prominent rankings from bob mckenzie and our the continuation of our prospect profiles before jumping into overtime uh before we do that i would like to have our uh episode by episode reminder that we are partnered with the jamie daniels foundation and we do hope you go visit jamiedanielsfoundation.org uh it's a children's foundation initiative and it was established in memory of jamie daniels and founded by jamie's father who you all know is red wings lead announcer ken daniels and jamie's mother lisa daniels goldman they strive to end the stigma of substance use disorder and provide support to those struggling with the disease or who are in recovery all right, uh, let's get this out of the way. Last night's game, just, you knew early. I I do appreciate these Red Wings because you know early what kind of game it's going to be. Yep, and uh, at an 8.30 Eastern start, that was very handy information to have. How long until you fell asleep? Uh, I don't have the exact time, but I think I drifted off somewhere between 10 to 15 minutes left in the game. Time was but a construct for that game. It was a loose idea. At one point, 30 minutes would go by and two minutes would have gone by on the screen. And at one point, five minutes would have gone by and the whole period would have elapsed. It yeah, was all just really did crawl by. I remember at one point in the second period, I looked, I'm like, oh, second period's got to be almost over. There were 13 minutes left. Yeah. <laughs> that game was like... um you know the harsh reality right now of Red Wings production where it's like muted across the board. Everyone's not producing. The Red Wings best players just aren't putting up points. And some of it's that they're playing poorly. Or some of it's that the whole team's not producing, whatever, you know, what have you. Um, that just came through so much that game. It almost felt like, I don't know, you get that sinking feeling when you're watching a team play 
and struggling. And we talked about this happening, right? Like the Red Wings were never a great offensive team this year. They just don't have that talent with the injuries to key players. Um, you know, Bertuzzi and Fabry are out. Mantha's gone. Like they don't have the talent to spread across their lineup. Their only way of staying in games was through five on five defensive strength. And they got rid of two of their most important players, if not the two most important players of five on five defense, which are uh, uh, Merrill and um, oh my God, I did Nemeth. I did this last episode too. Um, and it, it, it became pretty apparent. There's not a lot of games left this season. It was to be expected, but yeah, it, it really shone through in the worst way this this game against Dallas. Well, when you break it down, Dylan Larkin is having an extremely uh, down year by his standards. Uh, he's hovering, I think, around a half a point per game right now, uh, which is a far, which would put him almost 30 points under his career high, give or take, 20 to 30. Um, Philip Zadina has played well, but the counting stats haven't been there for him. It's well documented. We've talked about it at length. So by both accounts, neither of them offensively are where they'd like to be. They are the only two Fords that produce chances with any consistency. So that should tell you how it's going for the rest of that offense, where two guys who are admittedly very down on where they should be are by far the best offense drivers on the team. Now, last night's game was bad in every facet. Um, I'll get to the defense in a sec, but there weren't many chances produced. I don't think the Red Wings actually registered a scoring chance in the first period. And if they did, it was generous. It, it shouldn't have been classified as one. They had a few in the second period early on, but it was, it was a pretty horrific start. Um, And again, not that that's surprising. And the I had to watch the Dallas feed of that game because I have the NHL center ice package in Canada, which usually they give you both feeds. But if there's a lot of games, they, they'll trim it down to lots. So, and that's usually the home team. So I had Dallas's last night, which actually was fantastic because it, it's good to get away from Ken and Mick every once in a while because it's, it's nice to get an outside perspective of the Red Wings because, you know, they're watching the game as neutral observers. They just see what they see. At one point, I think Daryl Ray referred to the Red Wings like, and, and this is almost verbatim. He called the Red Wings defense useless. And he wasn't wrong in in the play he was talking about. He wasn't wrong. So he's now the new fourth member of the podcast. Yeah, he was. He was going the other square on the YouTube video. Like you're never going to hear Ken and Mick say that. Nor should you. It's their job to cover the team, and they want to keep viewers on. And if they just sit there and hammer home how dog shit this team is, that's not good for their careers. So I get it. But it is it is good to get that outside perspective. But yeah, everything. I would argue both games, everything went off the rails. The Red Wings got to overtime in that first game, but they, they played terribly. Um, Dallas also played poorly, which is why that game got to overtime. Dallas woke up the second game. Detroit didn't. And the funny thing is, it, it, a lot of what happened and what went wrong was very predictable, and some of it wasn't. Like, Chalosky is doing basically nothing offensively, which is disappointing, but he's been reliable defensively. Like Dallas scored five goals and, and exactly zero of them were his fault, which is not something we would normally see. Um, Lindstrom was actually directly at fault for one of them, maybe two. I don't remember the last one. Um, so it's, it's, it's weird. And then meanwhile, Danny DeKaiser was an absolute train wreck and that is very predictable. So 
it's it's nice that it was different in some capacities, but the end result was still exactly the same. I think the funniest part of um the these two games against Dallas, Detroit, like you alluded to, lost the first one in a shootout and then it just outright lost last night's game in regulation. Um it was four one, but it felt like it was nine one. Um in the first game it was a national broadcast and they called Luke Glendening at one point a jack of one trade, which was an objectively <laughs> hilarious thing to say. And you know what? More or less true this year. Like Luke Glendening, we're, we're, we, we've been getting a lot of comments. People are like, Luke Glendening, like you guys are too low on him. He has useful this usefulness on his team. All of us agree that, you know, Luke Glendening has worked hard and has absolutely had a spot in the bottom six on this team. This year, you have seen that drop off and the other things that he might have been able to do in previous years. Essentially, what he's been doing is face-offs this year. And so the, the commentator wasn't wrong that he was a jack-of-one trade. And then Luke Glendening won and scored two goals. Yeah. Um, the the one of those goals, actually, I, I want to quickly highlight this play. Uh, Evgeny Svechnikov came in. It was a um, he was on a, a fast break with Glenn Denning coming down the win, uh, the middle, and Svechnikov was coming down the right wing. Svechnikov glanced very quickly, saw that uh, the goalie was square to him, stared at Glenn Denning as if he was going to pass to look off the goalie to try to throw him. Credit to Hudobin, I think, was in net the first game. Hudobin didn't bite. He knew Sveshnikov was going to shoot. But what did Sveshnikov do? He shot low pad to generate the rebound, which is how Glenn Denning scored. That's just a nice little bit of of, of good offensive instinct that's important to note with with uh, Sveshnikov. Always want to celebrate those little successes for guys who are trying to find their way in, into the yeah. team. Yeah, and again, he created he directly created a goal. That's always a plus. Uh, he was rewarded by getting scratched the next game, although I think that's due to injury. So I think that was the last minute injury thing. Yeah, yeah. It, he was literally in the original lineup, and then they pulled him. So ninety nine out of a hundred times, that's injury related. So yeah, um, and you know, Glenn Denning got a couple lucky goals, but hey, got to be in the right spot to get lucky goals. You know, deflection goals are a dime a dozen, but he was the one in the spot to get it. Rebound goals, dime a dozen, but he was the one in the right spot to get it. So, you know, credit where credit is due because, you know, I think people take our criticism of of Glenn Denning as like, we don't like the guy, which couldn't be further from the truth. I try very hard on this podcast to separate Brad Crisco, the fan from Brad Crisco, the, I don't know what do you want to call it, analyst, as douchey as that sounds. Evan and I prefer dickhead, actually. That's that what works we put too. business card. That is true. We voted on that uh, yeah. title last episode. Yeah. It was you voted on a <laughs> it was there was a lot of unanimous voting last episode you're gonna learn this over the next year or so yeah i just assumed you two were the same person and it's actually just a mirror somehow that's uh creating the two faces on there but anyways you can tell by the beard yeah yeah exactly um i mean people want to think glenn denning's more than just a fourth line guy who can shovel in five goals a year you do you but again he's crazy easily replaced but he's one of my favorite red wings he was a walk-on at michigan became the captain of michigan from Grand Rapids, played in Grand Rapids, made the Red Wings. Like, if he's not one of your favorite Red Wings, I'm sorry, you don't like hockey. <laughs> like, yeah, it, it's incredible he's even here, but that doesn't mean he's not easily replaceable. Now, if I had the option of every fourth line center in the league, would I pick Luke Glendening? No, obviously not. But if he's the guy that's going to be the fourth line center for the next couple of years, I'm perfectly fine with that. There's much bigger problems on the Red Wings than Luke Glendening. And now that the trade deadline's coming past, it's almost not even worth having the argument. Because the only time that we had that argument was I'm like, yeah, this guy actually has some value. Please go and get it because he might never have it again. Um, 
now that he's not and he's going to be UFA, who cares? Enjoy it. Have fun. It's not an argument that needs to be had anymore. Um, you're trying to bring some positivity into the conversation, which is good. I'm going to bring us back into a harsh negative here. Uh, and this is a, if I had to see this sort of you moment for the listeners, so I apologize in advance. Uh, shout out to Cody Stark, who let us know, who reminded us of this. Um, <clears throat> guess who was drafted one pick before Nick Robertson of Dallas? Uh, Jason Robertson? Jason Robertson. God damn it. I should have just... I've already let Stupid. you suffer on a couple. You'll see them on Twitter tomorrow. But uh, what did I mess up? You'll see it on Twitter tomorrow. Anyways, uh, <laughs> <laughs> in my um, head, I'm like Nick, Jason, Nick, Jason, Jason. Robertson. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I know. You don't. Ha- nobody had to remind me. I know. <sighs> are Are you and are you still going to make this argument to me, Ryan? Is this still a hill you're willing to die on? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, it's not. Man, that kid's on fire. I still think Kaprizov's the, the, the Calder winner here, but he's made it closer than I think anyone had any business doing. I think his points per game is better. It's going to be younger. a tough call. It's going to yeah. be a tough call. I, I haven't dove in enough to either of them to really have a good opinion on who I would give rookie of the year to between them. But uh, initial observation state, it's going to be really goddamn close. Uh, and you never did tell everybody who was picked one pick ahead of Jason Robertson. Yeah, Gustav Lindstrom. Did you? Okay. Yeah, yeah. God damn. Oh, yeah. That draft was that. an absolute nightmare. It, yeah, big travesty of a draft. And at no point has it been considered anything otherwise. Like, literally from the moment the draft ended to when we got the context of the themed big man draft to that the reviewing previous draft patreon exclusive episode we did toward the end of 2020 like it's just sucked the whole way through keith petrozelli is all that can save this draft at that at this point who has not been signed yet uh, brian we know we're working on on that but yeah not been signed uh quick note on joe valeno last episode uh when evan and i were talking about joe valeno sliding to the lineup potentially later uh, later in this year. I mean, there's eight games left. Uh, we talked about entry-level slides. That was uh, an error because that actually doesn't apply to Joe Valeno. He has already had his contract slid, slowed, if you will, once, and it doesn't apply to him this year. Uh, also, there's only eight-ish games, I think eight games left. So in effect, it doesn't change the amount of games that we predicted him playing or not playing or whatever. Um, he is on, he is with the team right now. He traveled with Detroit to Dallas to practice um and kind of rehab from his concussion slash whiplash situation uh so no official word yet although maybe by the time you're listening you'll know uh as to when he'll play but we expect or at least hopefully expect that it'll be sometime over the next uh, little bit before the season wrap up wraps up we're getting near the end here yeah eight games left we're thank god <laughs> yeah Honestly, and uh, at least this year, it'll be a bit of a shorter off season, so it won't be as painful as uh, last time, even though it's kind of painful to endure because you know what's crazy to me is I look at this team and I and I see just how bad they are and all of their severe deficiencies and lack of talent and obvious coaching problems and put it all together and I go, wow, this is like a catastrophically bad hockey team that would be picking seventh right now. Yeah. Columbus, what's going on? 
Wow, Columbus things have gone off the rails there. Someone, uh, I think it was Micah, put up a chart of Columbus's, one of his heat maps of Columbus's overall offense. They might be worse than Detroit. Negative twenty percent. Negative twenty percent. I will bet all of my money Tortorella goes in the offseason. Like he has, he's healthy, scratched. Line A, Max Domi, like all the guys who produce offense. He he hates, and yet they still continue to be one of the worst offensive teams in the league. So it's Pat, look at Patrick Line's underlying numbers with Columbus. He is amongst the worst players in the league. That does is not make sense. It doesn't make sense. No, it's like that's not awful. even me being facetious or exaggerating it. He analytically is one of the worst players in the league under Tortorella. Who could have ever seen that coming? I actually I don't think anybody thought it, this relationship would be as bad as it turned out to be, even though everybody knew it was probably going to be bad. It's just catastrophic. And Anaheim, they're terrible. They have been quietly so terrible. And uh yeah, Detroit, you know, they got they're getting on their late season streak of accumulating a lot of points and wins that are making fans uncomfortable as the draft nears. Thankfully, this is the draft where it's not that big a deal. But still, uh, my my initial cutoff of where I want the Red Wings to pick based on my current rankings is seventh. So they couldn't, you know, just let me be happy. Although, to be fair, one guy that was on very high on Bob McKenzie's list is outside of my seven. So it might end up being an eight bubble if that guy gets picked ahead of Detroit. But I won't get too into too much detail on that. But yeah. But the nice thing about this is. Now I'm going to turn this into a positive because, you know, can't let have Ryan all the fun, have all the fun. The Red Wings suck. The Red Wings coaching sucks. The Red Wings have had goaltending problems this year. They have major defensive problems now that they've traded Maryland Nemeth. They have literally the worst offense in the NHL. No team has scored uh, fewer goals than the Detroit Red Wings. And they're still ahead of five other teams. It's so, actually shocking. Which means maybe... They're not as far off as we thought. They're not close. I don't. I now, don't yeah. I now know how far Brad did not listen to into the episode last. But week. Yeah, <laughs> I did not listen to a thing you said. I I don't want to be too. <laughs> I don't want to be too too doom and gloom on this usually. But at the beginning of this season, I thought this the Red Wings were five to seven years out. Like legitimately going into this season, I'm like, this is as bad as it could have possibly gotten. Our prospects aren't close. Uh, we don't have any real superstar prospects. Thankfully, Mort Sider took a huge step forward and Lucas Raymond got drafted. So that alleviated two of those issues. It, it, the cap situation wasn't good. There were too many dead contracts, but Eisenman made some shrewd moves, had a really good draft. A good number of the Red Wings' top prospects actually exceeded expectations this year. And now the Red Wings themselves have at least slightly exceeded expectations this year. So I will bitch on Twitter more than anybody else in this fan base because this team is still dog shit and does dog shit things. And eh, to be fair, 80% of my complaints are something coaching related anyway. But by and large, everything that's happened within the Red Wings this season has been better, way better than we were expecting in terms of wins, production, prospects, draft. Everything exceeded what I was expecting. They have had streaks this year where they looked like, at no point did they look like a good team that had everything together. But 
you know, harking back to the, the, what we were shouting at the beginning of the year, which is that we just want to see some silver linings. There were moments where they looked like they had some things together. They looked like they had a really sound defense. They looked like their top two lines were really clicking. Like there was, and they never extended for more than four or five games, but of course that wasn't going to be the case because if it did, then they'd be a good team, which they are just not. Um, so yeah, I agree, Brad. Like, all the things outside of what happens on NHL ice with the Red Wings, a lot of those things went really well. Um, and hopefully will continue to go well as those prospects come into uh, Detroit. The cap situation becomes a little bit more uh, advantageous and develops and Eisman has more of a blank slate to work with. Um, you know, upcoming drafts, all the, the picks they've stockpiled, sure. But again, their performance this year is a notably improved from last year. Is it a lot of addition by subtraction from the suckage that they had on the team last year. Absolutely. But you don't just put a team together on paper and have it go out and it's going to automatically win games. Like the team does need to grow a little bit. And they did, I think, do some things that really helped that. And if this sounds like, you know, code for Jeff Blashill did some things right. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Um, it, it, here's, here's a point. I'm going to transition to this to a Blashill conversation. So I'm sorry to yucky or yum, Brad. Um, we're come we're eight games away where we start having the the conversation of what is Eisman going to do with Blashill. Uh, on the Monday game, Joe Micheletti of NBC Sports alluded to the fact that apparently Eisman and Blashill were having conversations and they were going well regarding his future, Blashill's future on the team. Last episode, Evan and I talked about the fact that um, it's probably a lot more likely than people want to think that Blashill comes back on a short-term deal just because Eisman probably doesn't have his guy or doesn't feel like the team is ready for the coaching change yet. He doesn't feel like the team is about to turn that corner yet, so to speak. So why change the coach? Uh, especially because Blashill did improve the team over last season. My personal take is still that they move on from Blashill. And the people who support, the fans who still support Blashill, they're going to say, look, Blashill, when he was working with a completely healthy team where the Red Wings' best players were in, did better than they did last year. And is that not a sign that he should stay? I don't necessarily agree, but I think it's a sound argument. I still boil this down to what uh, I was saying when we were talking to Dimitri in that interview, uh, which, Brad, which is that even if none of this is on Blashill, I think just the voice in the room needs to change. NHL coaches in, in the modern NHL have a short shelf life. And I think at some point you need to switch that out. I do believe I do have a lot of disagreements with Blashill's personnel decisions and the way uh, prospects are handled on this team. Some of that does fall in the GM too, admittedly. But I think a lot of the time we want to be frustrated because we're covering and watching a terrible team. And sure, some of that can be pinned on Blashill, but I think a lot of the time there's no coach in the NHL who could find, you know, this kind of success that would alleviate those frustrations frustrations on this team. I think they're just the reality of this team. And uh, Blashill gets a ton more, I don't know, hate than maybe is warranted. Again, none of that removes the fact that I, I would like to move on from him this offseason. But, he deserves yeah. all the hate he gets for no other reason than how he wears his mask. But, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, don't get me wrong. Blashill, for as much as I dump on him, he does have his strengths as a coach. There's just not enough of them to redeem him for his shortcomings in my mind. Because there are some things a coach can't control. He can't help that 
Thomas Grice went into the absolute shitter for 75% of the season thus far. Not a damn thing Blasio can do about that. Um, you know, he can't help the fact that the Red Wings had to play Tampa eight times this year, Carolina eight times this year. He can't help the fact that, you know, Robbie Fabry got hurt, Eisenman traded Mantha, Tyler Bertuzzi's missed most of the season. There are things going against him that hurt the team that are in no way his fault, but there are so many things. And, and, there are subtle things that bother me, but the, the thing that actually strikes me the most is there are so many insanely obvious things that he just misses. Because, you know, we sit here and we squabble about Giovanni Smith, Evgeny Svechnikov, this, that, understanding, eh, minor difference, not things. The power play's been catastrophic all year, and yet they're running the exact same system. They've changed nothing. They've tried tweaking players here and there, but for the most part, nothing's changed about one of the league's worst power plays. Same goes for the penalty kill. Special teams are very controllable. Contrary to what anybody wants to say, a good coach can take a bad team and make them very good on special teams. They're dump and chase hockey, their transition games, their defensive positioning, their brain lapses. There are so many things like the Philip Peronic on the power play QB thing should have died 20 games ago, but it's still being paraded out there ad nauseum. It's so painful. It's so bad. And any anybody, someone who watches five Red Wings game a year can go, yeah, that guy shouldn't be there. Not that Philip Peronic's a bad player. I I love Philip Peronic. He's a good player. He's maybe not a top pairing defenseman, but he's a very good player. He sucks horribly as a power play quarterback. So maybe don't put him there. He's got a bomb of a shot so you can keep him on the power play. Just move him to the left half wall and put Chalosky there. Try Chalosky there. He's, if there's only one thing at the game of hockey that you can say Dennis Chalosky is very above average at, it's passing the puck and he shoots left. And you have Philip Zadina sitting right there who's trying to catch hand grenades for one-timers every game if the puck comes at all. Because I'm pretty sure if Hronik looks him off one more time, Zadina's going to actually stab him. But um, it's just, there's so many, getting back to my point, there's so many fundamental flaws with this team that could be easily fixed and they're just not even addressed. And that's not even going into his often mind-boggling personnel decisions and deployment, which is arguably his worst trade as a coach. I just, my biggest concern here, we are happy about the progression of some players this year. Rasmussen taking a step to be a legitimate third-line center. Great. None of us thought that was going to happen at the beginning of the year. We thought maybe Maybe he scrapes it together enough to be a center in the NHL. Maybe we have to put him on the wing. He's exceeded expectations. Adam Ernie exceeded expectations, although he's been very average outside of that eight-game hot streak, so let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. When you see the regression, though, from your established best players, that is my biggest red flag of all. Dylan Larkin should not be this bad this year. Philip Heronik should not have taken a step backwards this year. It sucks that Tyler Bertuzzi's out, so we can't say for sure. Anthony Mantha should not have taken the step backwards he did this year. Now, Eisenman still turned that into Jakob Verana in a first-round pick, so we're happy. Jacob. Jacob Verana. But <laughs> if you had a knife, you'd stab me right now. Yeah. <laughs> Either way. I Yacoub. believe it's Yakub. Yakub. Thank you, Evan. 
Thanks, Evan. So many of the Red Wings key players have taken step back because when you look at Zadina and you look at Rasmussen and you look at some of these guys we're happy with, they were young enough that there should have been just natural progression due to them maturing. Sure, Blasio gets some credit for, you know, rounding out Zadina's defensive game, rounding out Rasmussen's defensive game. Great. Neither of those guys were drafted to be defensive stalwarts. Those guys need to put points on the board to justify drafting them. Um, But again, the Larkins, the Manthas, the Heronics taking huge step backwards and taking, it's now been a three-year trend, is deeply concerning. And if for no other reason, like you said, new voice, something has to change here. And the easiest change, unfortunately, usually is the coach. Now, uh, I really am not. Hold on. Let me, and let me specify this all. Getting back to one thing you said earlier. Yes. If I had to put money on the table, I'm betting Blashill's back next year. This will not surprise me at all. I'm not saying I don't think it's going to happen. I'm just saying it shouldn't happen. Okay, I was going to say, because we're not, like, Evan and I weren't just, like, messing around just because you were gone last episode. I think there is a strong chance. Not definite. You don't know. It's really hard to read Eiserman. Um, But there's still a strong chance that Blasio comes back. I would bet that it's short-term, one, maybe two years. But it's not a certainty that he's gone. The nice thing about a coach is you're not anchored to them forever. Yeah. No. Yeah. So there's no cap hit. It's but, not a cap hit. It's not a big issue like that, like. The leash can always be as long as you want it to be. So if they feel the need to move on from Blashill at X amount of time or whatever, they can do that. Can they, though? Because any other time, I would agree with you a thousand percent. Money isn't exactly flowing through the NHL. And whether and as much as we're hoping next year feels normal, even if it feels normal behind the scenes, it's still not going to be normal. The Illiches still lost all the money that they lost this year. So even if they're making a little more next year because the building's half full, three quarters full, or even really full, they are still recouping the losses from this season. So if they're like, yeah, we'll give Blashill an extension. And if we have to ax them halfway through the year, so be it. They're not going to want to pay someone to not coach for them. So if they are extending Blashill, it is not going to be because it's just like, ah, pull shoot when everything goes off the rails it'll be like okay no we believe in this guy not just a stopgap. listen people if you want to get rid of jeff blashill you need to buy more pizza specifically <laughs> yeah. little caesars yeah so if you really dislike him support the illiches and little caesars absolutely uh, okay, we have a lot of prospect talk coming up, and now is a good time to do <laughs> do a little bit of an ad read of our own. Uh, this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is proudly brought to you by the FanDuel Sportsbook, who we are very excited to partner with. FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook for a ton of reasons. They're easy to use from registration to deposits and finding great bets. Withdrawals are quick and easy. You get your money back in as quick as 24 hours. Now listen to this. FanDuel is letting you, yes you, place your first bet risk-free up to $1,000. Just place a bet on any game and FanDuel FanDuel will refund you up to $1,000 back if you don't win your first bet. No strings attached. If you win, you keep the cash. If you lose, you get up to a grand back in site credit. We wish we could bet on upcoming games Four games against Dallas, the next two to round out that series. Detroit is bound to win at least one of them. Let's get some underdog money. 
Uh, download the FanDuel Sportsbook app to get started with a risk-free bet of up to $1,000 and be sure to sign up with promo code WWP so they know the Winged Wheel Podcast sent you. That's FanDuel Sportsbook promo code WWP. You must be 21 and older and present in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, West Virginia, Indiana, Colorado, Iowa, Tennessee, Virginia, or Michigan. First online real money wager only. Site credit is non-withdrawable and expires in 14 days. Restrictions apply. See sportsbook.fanduel.com for details. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, or Virginia, Tennessee Redline 1-800-889-9789, 1-800-GAMBLER.net in West Virginia, or call 1-800-270-7117 in Michigan. All right. It's uh, that time of year where the draft Bible, Rosetta Stone, I don't know what to, what, what analog to pick here, but uh, Bob McKenzie's draft rankings have been released uh, before the world, uh, the under 18 worlds, which happen in about five days time. Bob McKenzie's draft rankings are unique in that he's not ranking the skills or the attributes of these players as he sees them. He's not picking the best player. What he does is use his connections as the all-knowing hockey insider to establish what players are most likely to go at what position. In general, overall, you'd be hard-pressed to find anyone more accurate than Bob McKenzie in how a draft actually is going to shake out, and it's the best insight we have into what teams are thinking. That's important any year, uh, but this year, especially as teams don't even know what they're thinking, that is incredibly important. Uh, So Bob McKenzie's list came out. Uh, Brad, why don't you walk us through a little bit of the key findings? Brad, why don't you walk us through a little bit of the key findings unmuted? Great point. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I was trying to mute my typing and because I don't mute myself that often. Anyways, um, well, the first thing that absolutely shocked me is, is not that Owen power ranked number one. I fully expected Owen power to be ranked number one um, on Bob's preseason list of the 10 scouts. He surveyed Owen powers number one on four of their lists, which was very on brand for how this draft was going to be. Yeah. He's, he's probably the top prospect, but it's pretty divided and it's all over the place. Get it. This time it was unanimous. Owen power was number one on 10 out of 10 lists. I never would have thought at any point this year that would even come close to being unanimous, but here we are. What that tells me is that with Owen Power, we've had the conversation about him having the highest floor by far of anybody in this draft. Even though he may not have the most enticing toolkit other than being, you know, six foot a million, the scouts are going with what they know this year we know this guy will play in the nhl and we know this guy will play a key role in the nhl we're not sure he's ever going to compete for a norris we're not sure he's even going to be a number one defenseman but we know he's going to play whereas guys like dylan genther kent johnson Chaz lucius guys who have considerable upside but a far bigger question mark next to their name um, outside of one of them they fell it was most of the safer projections that came higher in this list. So just to run through it very quickly, Owen Power was number one, no surprising. There was actually a tie for second between Dylan Genther and Simon Edvinson, uh, which I didn't see coming, but again, six foot four, 200 pound defenseman who can skate. Matt Beneers, your ultimate reliable two-way centers at number four, Luke Hughes, five, Brant Clark, six, William Eklund, seven, 
Number eight, Kent Johnson. Number nine, Chaz Lucius. Number 10, Jesper Wallstedt. Just to round out the top 10. So to me, if you look at, if you had to ask me, who are the highest upside skill-wise players in this draft that have that bigger asterisk and the question mark next to them, I would tell you Dylan Genther, Brant Clark, William Eklund, and Kent Johnson, and Chaz Lucius. Genther got to number two, but Clark, Eklund, Johnson, Lucius, six through nine. Nice. It's. I don't think that's a coincidence this year. I don't think that's a true reflection on who they are as prospects, and I don't think this would line up like this in any other year, but you have your Matt Beneers and your Edvinsons and your Powers in the top five and your Luke Hughes. This almost feels like a football draft. We are looking at the traits, and then we are just praying from there because Luke Hughes, big and can skate. Matt Beneers, big-ish, reliable two-way center, can skate. Edvinson, big and can skate. Power, big and can skate. Um, so, you know, those are transferable skills. And, and not that any of these guys don't have skill. Like, I'm, I'm selling Owen Power way short right now. He's he's a good offensive mind. He has a good hockey IQ. Like, he, he's more than just big and fast. But this is a very noticeable trend to me. And the fact that this is a survey of NHL scouts who are you like not unanimously but when they all come together this is how it looks that's it, it's surprising but it's not so to me what this list said is that everything that nhl teams have been preaching or i i guess shouting about which is that they have no idea how to scout who to draft what to do the ohl it was confirmed they're not getting games in which sucks which absolutely blows for those players um and the league as a whole and especially for evaluating a lot of draft talent teams are at an impasse and what has that done it's really really i don't know galvanized it's really solidified their positions i think these rankings are going to be ultra safe the fact that you said we know owen power is going to be a player and a good one that is exactly why it's 10 out of 10 scouts i i would wager that seven out of those 10 scouts would say yeah maybe he's not the best player on that list, but we couldn't say confidently that anyone else is above him, right? Like it's all about safety. I'm always a person who's a proponent to swing for the fences. If you're in Detroit's position and you have these kinds of high picks a hundred percent, I think that's what they should be doing. They should be trying to get, they should be trying to get a, 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 an Elias Pettersson every draft just to kind of shave some years off the rebuild this year i don't know i think there's a lot to be said about picking someone safe because can you really afford to have a swing and a miss this year with how many picks you have absolutely you can because so here's the thing top though it would hurt a lot more but i'm not breaking away from my philosophy just because it's a weird year now i i'm owen power is very much in consideration for me at number one overall anyway just because he is that good so again like i don't want to sound like i'm selling owen power all that short but to me he's not he should not be a unanimous number one that's just the indicator for me but the red wings have a second first round pick and three picks in the second round and the only reason i say they can miss on the first is look at a league like the ohl for example the ohl usually has a lot of players very high in the rankings they have one guy above uh, number 19 this year, and that's Mason McTavish, who's been playing in Switzerland. Francesco Pinelli, Brandon Othman, Daniil Cheka, all guys who probably would have had top 10 consideration had there been an OHL year, aren't. They're just not. 
So if the the Red Wings could still strike big on one of their next four picks because of the nature of this year. So where it could hurt you, i.e. taking a swing on, you know, uh, uh, Dylan Genther, who only played 12 games in the WHL in the top 10, could also pay off because players are going to slide because of lack of exposure. Now, you have to have the utmost confidence in your scouting staff if you're taking that swing. But if you don't have that much confidence in your scouting staff, you need a new scouting staff because you have to trust them completely. That's just the nature of this business and the nature of that job. You have to ask Steve Eisenman be sitting there and going, I like this Genther kid. Convince me that this 12-game span was not a mirage. And they yeah, have to be able to sit anyone, there and tell you why. Can you really divine that from 12 games, though? Hockey, I don't know if hockey yes, is the kind of sport where you can do that. Dylan Genther was the WHL Rookie of the Year and the first overall pick in the WHL Bantam Draft. He did not come out of nowhere. This is what was expected of him, given his pedigree to this point. And Joe Valeno had exceptional status yes, when and he, he played. And when he had his ex- exceptional status, before he got drafted, by all accounts, he underperformed. Dylan Genther has underperformed at no point. He just didn't get enough games this year. He has overperformed everywhere he's played. So again, he is not coming out of left field. Now, obviously there are exceptions to what I'm saying, and I'm not saying you can do this. I'm a big Francesco Pinelli fan. Got to watch him a ton here in Kitchener. I think he has top 10 upside. Zero chance I'm taking him in the top 10 this year. No chance, no consideration whatsoever, because he was good last year. He left you wanting a little bit, and then he went and played in like some tier three men's league in Europe. Hard to get a gauge on where his game's at this year. So yeah, guys like that are going to fall. But where your top 10 loss is, it could be your early second round gain. So it's a weird year. And and what this year comes down to, and, and again, McKenzie's rankings are a testament to this, is you have to be sure. I don't care if it's 12 games or 40 games. Be sure. And I know that sounds overly simplistic, but yeah, you, you have to trust your guys, which... Who was it? JD was pointing out how strong of a track record Detroit has had recently and with their European scouting and how bad their North American scouting has. Yeah, that's another wrinkle in this if we're going to get Detroit specific because the biggest question marks are in the CHL. Everybody, everywhere else pretty well played a decent amount. We know what we're getting out of Kent Johnson, Owen Power, Matt Beneers, William Eklund. They played a ton of games this year. Dylan Genther didn't, Pinelli didn't, Chaka didn't, Mason McTavish didn't, Chaz Lucius due to injury didn't. And and these guys are in the backyard of where the Red Wings scouting has been their weakest. So there is that added complication, which probably will lead them to Europe or the guys they did get a big sample size of. So when I look at this list, I don't think Detroit's list would look too dramatically different than that. My my overall takeaway is that I continue to feel not concerned if Detroit moves up the standings and thus down the lottery draft order. Um, they're from Owen Power all the way down to Kenton Johnson or even Jesper Wallstedt. There's a ton of guys I'd be thrilled with. Fabian Lysel uh, at 12 could be a steal for a team. Like there's a there's a ton of. I don't want to say talent, like high-end talent like we had last draft where it just ran super deep, but there is a lot of, I I would say, equivalent talent, really one through 10. And like you said, Brad, you could be the the world's best scouting group and drafting 10th and get it 
get a better player than first or second overall if things fall the right way so for red wings fans who are concerned about the lottery draft for sure if if you want to use that as an excuse to not be too <laughs> brad moving around is there an camera. earthquake in breslau oh and i just haven't felt it yet god i'm gonna be nauseous man Sorry, my camera keeps sliding backwards and it won't stay still for whatever friggin' reason today, and it's driving like me this, nuts. This is a Super Bowl halftime all over again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hysterical. I actually couldn't focus. I was gonna throw up. Yes. Yeah, I have half a that. beer left. I don't know. If gonna... I remembered to mute it this time so you guys didn't have to get the audio of all of it. Um no, there there's there's a ton of opportunity for teams no matter where they end up drafting. Of course, if you wanna, you know, be hopeful and get excited for the draft lottery, and and we will when we get around that time absolutely that's that's there for red wings fans but you know if they finish with seventh best lottery odds honestly don't be too upset or you know that's that might age poorly in three years depending but i wouldn't be too worked up about it um very quickly before we jump into our prospect profile do either of you guys see opportunities outside the top 10 i'm talking specifically in the like 20 to 32 range uh, for players, Detroit might be, be able to snag with Washington's first round pick because I'm seeing, you know, Daniel Chaka, I'm seeing Atu Ratu. Um, I don't know how much you guys believe in a guy like Zachary LaRue. Um, there's a lot of opportunity. Carson Lambos might fall even further. There is a good amount of potential top 10 talent that you can get late in the first round here. Oh, absolutely. I, there is a. So here's the crazy thing is I don't really love any prospect in this draft past like pick 12 13 but there's a lot of guys that i i really like and with how erratic this is yeah there's power there like i don't think cole sillinger is going to fall that far but yeah sebastian cosa carson lambos xavier borgo i'm actually not that big on Cheka personally ratu uh matthew coronado i'm a big fan of uh i've already mentioned uh francesco pinelli uh, Mackie Samuskevich, uh, Frick Scott Morrow. There's a lot of guys here. Logan Stankovin, I'm a big fan of. So at least half, at least half of those guys that I mentioned will be there for the Red Wings, um, second and third picks, honestly. So this is the draft where I, I don't really see there being that top line superstar sitting there late in the first round. Like, you know, when we, when I say there's going to be great value because guys falling, I don't mean we're going to get a, you know, Braden point in the third round, but you want a second line center in the NHL. Yeah. You might get one in the second round this year. You want a really good top four defenseman. You might get one in the second round this year. Um, you want a starting goalie. You might get one in the second round this year. Uh, although I don't think Costa's falling. He, he shot all the way up to 14th on McKenzie's rankings, but, uh, you know, you still have Tristan Lennox and Benjamin Goudreau, and there are options there. Speaking of wild cards, Benjamin Goudreau, Sarnia Sting, he, his, his whole season's riding on the U18s. But, um, so yeah, there could be incredible value had with that second first round pick and even those three second round picks this year. So, uh, let's just, and let me just say, get this out of the way now because we get a billion of this question leading up to me. This is the, textbook draft do not trade up there is going to be value where you are picking make the picks or trade back so if you're like oh what if we package two second round picks and go up and get no unless a guy like fabian lucelle or 
Cole Sillinger slides into the early 20s, don't even think about it. And that being said, they probably won't, truthfully. But like, it, it would have to take a pretty remarkable player falling pretty far before Detroit should even think about trading up. All right. Uh, we've talked a lot about prospects. Let's jump into a continuation of our series of covering uh, NHL prospect profiles. So we take a look at most, if not all, uh, of the kind of top-ish, top first round, second round, maybe even uh, NHL draft prospects for each year uh, leading up to the draft uh, and discuss who they are as players, how they might fit in on the Red Wings, what's what's the likelihood that Detroit's going to take them, uh, how we feel about them personally, et cetera, et cetera. It's still early. Uh, viewing has been limited as we talked about earlier players have a very small sample size um, the player we're about to talk about right now has had 17 worthwhile games under his belt this year and that's actually a lot considering some other guys we're looking at so uh without further ado of uh, the edmonton oil kings winger uh dylan genther brad take us away here if you like lucas raymond you're gonna like dylan genther so it's no surprise i like dylan genther a lot um not that the, not that he's an equal player to lucas raymond but since we know lucas raymond there's a lot of takeaways here not huge not small quick fast elite hockey iq unbelievable shot for their size and uh both pretty good playmakers genther's a better scorer than raymond Raymond's a better playmaker than Genther, for whatever that's worth you. Both shoot right. Again, it was only 12 games, but Genther put up cartoonish numbers in those 12 games for a 17-year-old. He's 17, playing on a strong team in the WHL, and he had 24 points in 12 games. 12 goals, 12 assists in 12 games. For a draft-eligible player who is not a late... Well, even for a late birthday, that would be crazy. But he is not a late birthday. Those are ridiculous numbers. Would he hold up a two-points-per-game pace over 68 games? No, of course not. That would be, you know, 130-something points. And I don't know if any draft-eligible player has done that since the 80s. But it's not nothing. He was the WHL Rookie of the Year. He was just over a point per game as a 16-year-old in the WHL. So he is your classic, you know, we called Luke Linden the jack of one trade. Dylan Genther is the jack of all trades. He can score. He can make plays. He can transition the puck. He can run off the cycle. He can play penalty kill. He can play power play. His defensive game isn't quote-unquote a strong point but he's not terrible at it like he competes out there he's so he he tries to make things happen at both ends of the ice he's just way more talented at making it happen at the other end so yeah there there is a lot to like about dylan genther um it's just the one question for me with him is how dynamic is he because when you're smarter and more skilled than everybody in junior, it's not that hard to put up points. And I know that sounds like an overly simplistic statement, but it, it's true. And there have been guys who have done that at the WHL and it doesn't translate because, you know, you get less time, yada, yada, yada. But he does look like it's going to be translatable because he plays fast and he has the brain capacity and the the sense 
to keep up with himself when he's playing fast, which is the biggest reason I was a fan of Lucas Raymond last year. And that's worked out well so far. So for a lot of the same reasons I liked Lucas Raymond last year, a lot of the same reasons I like Dylan Genther this year. I don't think Genther's as good as Raymond for whatever that's worth. So let me get that out of the right way. But I would put Lucas Raymond at one overall in this draft. So also keep that in mind as we're talking. So yeah, there is, there is a lot 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 to like about Dylan Genther and nobody should be surprised if he ends up going first overall yeah you know what when I saw McKenzie's rankings I wasn't surprised to see Genther that high um, we've talked a lot about players having no games having very few games having weird you know seasons anytime a player can play 12 games in the WHL and put up 24 points that's going to be noticed Brad's right. You can't extrapolate that to a full season, but scouts don't have a lot to latch on to. So if that is what he's doing, that is still relatively quite a bit compared to the rest of the draft class. So that's going to push him up the board. I think he's going to go high. Uh, yeah, you know, Brad, I think you put it well. The guy has a ton of skills. What do you call him? A, a five-tool player uh, before we started recording here? Like, yeah. Great shot. I think his his playmaking and his passing, when he chooses to lean on it, is maybe a different question, but is also like you you shouldn't look past that either. Um, a ton of skill. I don't know what, where the fit is on the Red Wings. Do the Red Wings spend yet another high draft pick on a winger? I don't really know about that. Um, you don't pick for position. You pick best player available. But if you can't really establish who best player available is, then maybe you should look a little bit more towards position. So that that's my hesitancy around Dylan Genther. But, you know, unless Detroit's drafting one, you know, first or second here or third, maybe, I just don't know if Genther will even reach them. Well, um, on your point about positionality, just because I know every Red Wings fan is sitting here going, we need a centerman. There is one centerman ranked in one true centerman ranked in McKenzie's top 15. So I think we might have to just get the whole just pick best player available argument out of the way now. Cause if Beneers isn't available when the Red Wings pick, they are not picking for a position of need unless they go for Wallstead or lefty. I don't even think that's that huge of a need. Like, yeah, it's it's fine. They could use more depth there, but it's it's not that bad <laughs> between Sabrango, McIsaac, Vero, Johansson. They're going to get a couple there. Oh, you have not named a single surefire NHLer in that list. Albert Johansson is not going to put up for that. No, no, I know. They can <laughs> use more depth, but other than Mo Sider, there is no surefire NHLer on the right side either, but... Not more depth. They need more high-end players. No, yeah. I don't want to. Yeah. They, they need to shoot for a top-pairing lefty at some point. They need to move up the Red Wings bar of talent. Yeah. 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 But I'm just saying, they also struggle to score more than any other team in the NHL. Get talent and figure out what to do with it. <laughs> You know, someone tweeted, uh, they must have been frustrated last game. They're like, uh, get Blashell out and put uh, Ryan in as coach. And let me just tell you, that would be terrible for everyone involved. Absolutely everyone involved. I cannot think of a worse idea for the Red Wings. But you know who would suffer the most? Brad. Because what I would do is instantly ice five defensive defensemen at all positions <laughs> just to watch him die inside. I know that would be fine with me because you wouldn't make it a week. Okay, look at that. Stress-free, baby. Anyways, more on, on, on Dylan Genther here. 
Um, where do you personally rate him, Brad? I have roughly. I haven't formalized my rankings. I have him in my top three right now at worst. Uh, Pronman has him first, right? Someone had him first. Let me yeah. check. I believe you're right that it was Pronman. Uh, yes, Pronman had him number one, and uh, Dauber and EP both had him at two, and obviously McKenzie had him at two as well. Speaking to, uh, didn't EP ranks that have him at six in their no, most recent? No, not in their. Uh, wasn't I? Might be thinking of someone else or looking at someone else here. Anyways, um, the the thing was with Genther with Genther. Sorry, yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking at Beniers there. Sorry, yeah, it was McKenzie that had him too. EP had him, or Cosentino had him four. Uh, you're speaking about a level of certainty here, and that's an asset for for scouts and scouting teams. I know, Brad, you have the 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 theory or the the opinion that they should be able to say with certainty, but from all indications, these teams are really struggling to find that kind of certainty. So I, I think the two things we can say about Genther are he's skilled. Is he necessarily the, the a top three player in this draft? I, I don't know for certain yet. I'm still kind of establishing where he falls for me. He's certainly up there, but I think we can say almost for certain, unless something drastic changes that he's not going to far fall too far down. I'm sorry, Evan, we haven't let you get your words in about Dylan Genther yet. Well, what else is there to say? Oh, um, can we mute him when he starts in on that? I will Possibly. just repeat it until the end of time or until you give in. Um, yes. At this current pace, I do not think the Red Wings will have the luxury of drafting uh, Mr. Gunther. But um, He's Canadian. Yeah, I know. I'm just fucking with you. Um... <laughs> I don't think he'll be there out where the Red Wings sit right now. Seventh. I don't think he'll be there. Um, he had too good of a start in the WHL last season and this year to, to warn him being there. Um, maybe he falls. This is the year that something crazy can happen. Um, but I just don't, I don't see it. Um, that's all I got really. Like you guys said everything about it. Like, the only other thing I sort of noticed about his game is he plays, he's got a little bit of sandpaper to his game, which I like as well. So I think he's easily top five, probably top three. Um, and I wouldn't even be shocked if he went first overall. He he does fit Stevie's mold. Evan. Oh yeah. Evan did point that out. Steve, Stevie likes his type, his fast competitive type. That is very much Dylan Genther. So, and also given that, what is it? Uh, Luke Lindenning is the only Red Wings forward who shoots right. <laughs> um, uh, Get yeah. shooting right isn't nothing. I know we have Lucas Raymond, but I think he's like our only major forward prospect who also shoots right. So we, we could use an injection of righties into this system. We see the problem that's caused on the power play where we've had to lean on Sam Gagne a little too much. <laughs> yeah, they definitely need to work on that um yeah i think the world uh under 18s are going to say a lot and there will be playing for team canada there uh alongside actually you know co number two ranked player on um bob mckenzie's list edvinson who will be playing with uh for sweden so i think a lot of weight is going to be put on that tournament probably more than ever has been actually definitely more than ever has been so that's probably when we're going to start can entertaining the idea of revisiting those players 
you know, because that tournament's still happening, and yet somehow the women's world championships can't happen. But I digress. We digress. All right. Let's jump into overtime. Overtime on uh, this episode of the Wind Wheel Podcast is brought to you by our Patreon supporters who are amazing and perfect in every way. If you say a bad word about them, you actually go straight to jail, believe it or not. Uh, we're going to start with Cody Stark. Uh, Cody, thank you again for reminding us that Lindstrom was picked one pick before Robertson. Cody says, my uh, Wind Wheel Podcast fantasy hockey team ended the year 600 faceoffs, one ahead of second place. Is that better than Luke Lindenning? Uh, well, no one can ever say that you are a one-tool fantasy hockey team. Or jack of one trade. Former defenseman Ryan Hanna says, "You guys are making great progress on this podcast, but when will you begin uh, making this st- or taking the steps of getting rid of Ryan as well?" Hashtag the Evan Show. Told you, Evan. I will. I'll get rid of both of you. It's just <laughs> taking longer than I thought. <laughs> uh, North Moto says, "Do you guys believe that there's at least one player per team that the intangibles outweigh the tangibles and is justifiable in today's NHL?" There's always those players. It's just how much are you paying them? That's how. That's the catch to it. Because would I argue the intangibles of Luke Lindenning outweigh the tangibles? Yeah, a thousand percent. Would I pay him $2 million again for those intangibles? Yeah, probably not, but you know, it worked out fine. So you absolutely can have it as long as you have good talent around them and you are not paying them high dollars and term. Uh, goes on to say, okay, Ryan, Formula One, final race of the year, three-way driver tie, Mercedes, uh, Red Bull, and Ferrari. And at the same time, the Wings Game 6 Stanley Cup Finals, Wings up 3-2 in the series. You can only watch one. Which do you watch? Uh, the Wings. We've been lu- I've been lucky to see four Red Wings Cups, and I would still treat the next one as if it was the first. I can always just go back and watch the race. Hockey is my first and main love. And then a lot of other things. Beer, dogs, making fun of Brad. Formula One's in there, though. Andrew Bohan says, hello, my lovely dub dub boys. Uh, no real questions here. Just why is Darren Helm? That's all. We'll defer that question to the one and only Rowan. Uh, Michael uh, Kersik said, or Krizik says, hey guys, big fan after getting turned onto your show just after the pandemic started, you guys became a welcome distraction and definitely helped me keep some sanity at the beginning. Thanks for the great content and all of your hard work. Michael, we're so happy you found the show and we're happy we could help uh, bring you some sanity, even though that's very counterintuitive. Michael asks, are you able to speak some uh, to some of the experience as your show has grown? For instance, what was it like working with FanDuel? Is there a master plan for global podcast dominance or what would it take to make this a full-time career? Um, here's the th- <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> here's the thing. Like, If the patrons could start having children who then will also be patrons, we'll start this little like breeding pyramid <laughs> scheme. Yeah, this is the world's least efficient MLM, believe it or not. Um, We always try to are are trying to strike a balance of keeping the show good for you and and getting better every episode. And it's tough at times. I mean, the last two seasons especially have been a real grind. Um, It's we've always talked about the fact that we're an independent podcast. We've started as an independent podcast. We continue to be an independent podcast. We've kind of made that decision. Um, and with that comes a lot of, you know, we don't have the support for production. We don't have the support for 
you know, finances. We don't have the support for a lot of other things outside of what we get from either you, the patrons who are the majority of that support, like the vast, vast majority, or the occasional time where we do work with the sponsor. And we are also very particular about the sponsors we do work with because we want to make sure it at least aligns a little bit with the show. Would we love to do this full time one day? Yeah, absolutely. What does that look like? Who knows? We we don't know the timeline on that, but the more patrons there are, the more friends you tell about the show, the more people we have listening, the better it is uh, for us down the road. So, yeah. And forward our information to any major golf manufacturer <laughs> who's looking to sponsor a podcast. Um, any giant tech firms that build software and hardware, you know, those, those tor- so- sorts of sponsorships we're interested in. We, the royal we here. Yes, yeah. we. We yeah. as in me in my golf bag. But obviously we're talking about that from our standpoint here. I think one of the bigger, re- biggest, if not the biggest reason we want to grow as much as we would love to do this full-time ASAP when we do get to the point where we can do this full-time, that opens up an exciting opportunity. We can branch out pretty heavily into YouTube at that point, maybe we do a side prospect dedicated podcast or something stupid like that. Like if you open up 50 more hours a week for us, like we will try what the hell ever you guys want us to try, but 50 geez, Brad, relax. Trying to work less, not more. How much guys work in a week? Anyways, but no, like Obviously, that's the end game here is, is like Ryan said, we are independent. We are, for lack of a better term, we're at the mercy of you guys. Without a you, there isn't an us. So, you know, obviously, we keep getting new patrons every week, which is unbelievable. And you guys stick around for some insane reason because we're terrible. But, you know, I you told me this three years ago. Hey, would this podcast still exist in five years? I'd be like, yeah, maybe, hopefully. Now you're telling me like, okay, well, we're probably going to be able to do this full time within the next 10 years. That's crazy to me. So, you know, uh, it's just a, it's all a reflection of you guys, not us. I'm just excited for the clickbait YouTube titles and terrible, terrible thumbnails of us like shocked and confused. Yeah. And the big text that every single YouTuber uses. Yeah. I've gotten the feedback before that we need to make the thumbnails more you know, attractive. And I was just like, you know, with all the time that goes into post-production, I cannot break myself to give a shit about the thumbnails. I'm sorry. Top five things the Red Wings can't do. (laughs) Score. Score. Win. Score. (laughs) Defense. I can't wait to start making the absolute useless daily vlogs. Evan's new driving net. And then it's Evan's shocked face with a big hole in his front window. (laughs) It's a five minute video in the first two minutes. They're talking about how it was so easy to set up my website with some unknown or uh, (laughs) overly promoted website tool maker thing. Uh, I am good question. I am going to move us on to the next one here. English major says, can we please stop letting Danny Furkin de Kaiser play in OT? Also, do you know what will happen uh, in the draft lottery? If let's say team number eight wins the first draw and team number seven wins the second, who picks first? Is it the team that gets the first draw or the, no, they, they'll say they're drawing for second pick or first pick. Like they will be declaring which pick they're drawing for. Um, when they they'll just re- release the order with the uh, the cards. Uh, Slava Kozlov's doppelganger says, "Ryan, I'm excited uh, for next season as your Liverpool and my Spurs finish 13th and 14th respectively after the 20 point deduction. Hey, well deserved because 
fuck all of that. Wait, they actually gave them preseason point deductions for the no, Super League? No, but they're talking about reprimanding them. The whole thing has fallen apart now. I don't know if you saw that. Thank I saw the tombstone. It was yeah. two days. Yeah. Um, I'm a, I'm a Liverpool fan, and I hope the owner gets nailed for that. Anyways, um, good job on using 69 to get Larry on off Jr., uh, yes, stay tuned for that. Uh, all I can say is nice. Since he's in the KHL, what's your favorite KHL logo? Bet you can't name more than three. Uh, Kunlun Red Star, of course. Can we name teams or their logos? Because I can easily name more than three teams, but what their logos are, I don't know about that. Joker is still in there, right? They have the Joker. Yeah, but they didn't play this year. You've got Yaroslav. Yaroslava locomotive with the train. I can never remember the team name, but there's one with the deer. That's actually a really dope logo. Avangard Omsk, I think, has the bird. Uh, SKA just has the letters coming across the chest. Yeah, uh, with the star, right? Moscow has a star. Yeah. Um, trying to think. Man, some of these names are brutally hard. Yeah. Magnitigor- Metalurg Magnitogorsk. Um, I remember their colors are the red, white, and blue, I believe, but I couldn't tell you their logo. Uh, the one <laughs> is to- what's torpedo? Are they the one? That's the, the that's the deer. It's torpedo. Torpedo's the deer. I'm counting that. I got it before Evan said it. So that's more than three. Tor- torpedo Nizhny Novgorod. Oh my oh, god! My furniture is floating. <laughs> uh, Big J ten sixty six says, "Can you give a quick timeline for the Wings to make the playoffs again? Not true cup contenders, but comfortably getting into the playoffs." I got my girlfriend, now fiancé, into the wings during 16-17. She only knows pain, suffering, and helm screwing up breakaway chances. Please send help. Three to five years for me. Comfortably in the playoffs, I'm saying three years. Could they make it two years from now? Maybe. I don't know. But I would say comfortably, they'll be in that picture in three years, hopefully. Am I always the pessimist? Should be, yeah. Yeah, I'm saying five. This team is a joke. (laughs) Yeah. Five addition com- by subtraction though. No Franz Nielsen, no Darren Helm, no Danny DeKaiser after next season. So Well, there's gonna need to be a lot of addition at some point. And have you seen our prospect pipeline? Until they play a game in the NHL, I am I'm still waiting. I'm playing the odds here. Mo- like they're not all gonna pan out. We can sit here and say Cider Johansson, Tuomisto, and Vero are going to be top four, but even if two of those guys pan out, that's still amazing and a huge head start. Matt S says, what's up, Dub Dub crew? Keep up the good work. Do you see any of our goalie prospects breaking out within the next couple of years? I only see Petrozelli because he's had a strong time in the NCAA. Can't have Bernie forever. Hope the wings grab Wallstedt in this draft, especially because Eisman isn't afraid to take a goalie with the first C Vasilevsky. I mean, Petrozelli has to sign first. Um, breaking out, there's a, there's a chance. I don't know if I would call it likely. Either someone needs to come through in that pipeline that they've they've drafted in the last couple of years, or the Red Wings need to add in the next draft or two, and it needs to happen soon. And it better not be Wallstedt, at least not with that first pick. Um, let's not forget Vasilevsky and Eiserman get brought up a lot. Vasilevsky was the Lightning's, I think, second first, or they traded for that pick because it was Detroit's pick, um, and it was like nineteenth overall. It wasn't a top ten pick. Um, our Goalie pipeline sucks. Like, that's just the reality of it. There are no good bets there at all. If not Petrozelli, if I had to hang my hat on, I could see this guy breaking out, maybe Guy Lander. 
Uh, Max Lightman says, at what point does Detroit have too many picks? 12 in 2020, 12 in 2021, uh, 10 so far in 2022. With contract limits, etc., Why does I, when does Eisman get to a point where he has to trade up to grab someone he likes or spread out picks across future years? Never a problem. It is never a problem. So few prospects pan out past the second round. It is never a problem. Jake Nagy says, hey guys, as a soccer fan, my head has been spinning over all the drama with the European Super League and its quick collapse. It's especially wild to see all of soccer Twitter unite around a common goal of preventing the league from happening in a common hatred of greedy billionaire owners. Is there anything you could ever imagine happening in the world of hockey that would anger hockey Twitter and hockey fans to that degree? (sighs) The Canadian teams are going to build their own league and only the top three teams from the, the U.S., can can play in their playoffs it would be like the league saying all the major markets chicago toronto um buffalo buffalo is a huge hockey market don't make that face brad they are a passionate hockey base but uh, in terms of dollars brought in they are not Every single time you look at viewership numbers for Stanley Cup finals which don't include buffalo the buffalo tv market is up there Yes. Anyways, that does not equate dollars. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, Detroit, whenever they get back up there, it's as if those teams said, yeah, we're going to make our own playoffs where we make it every year and we compete for another cup. It's I don't think it's it's or the NHL is even close to that kind of bullshit. I was I was looking up what that league would look like in terms of the most the highest revenue generators and L.A. is actually sixth. In terms of value of the franchise and, you know, inc- uh, revenue. Good for that. So you imagine all these North American teams in the Northeast, and then there's just LA out on the West Coast. <laughs> uh, Laura's the prophet of the towering behemoth said if the season ended t- today, Detroit would have, uh, they'd be the seventh worst team and have a six and a half percent shot at first pick. The worst draft position we could have then is uh, drafting ninth. Uh, besides being closer to uh, goalie Wallstead territory, this is exactly where we don't want to be, isn't it? Sucking, but just not sucking enough. If we are better next season, will our window for a realistic shot uh, for a first overall have passed? Will we instead of becoming what I feared? Will we instead be becoming what I feared, the Sabers, um, or the Wild? What the Wild have been for the past decade? Hope Mika is okay and all is well with you mispronouncing heathens. You'll never walk alone and screw the Super League. The idea that fans or people are powerless is a narrative from those in power. Also, I don't know if this is right. I just know it's true. Evan's favorite song is Summer of 69. Um, If Detroit doesn't have an opportunity at first overall in the next two seasons, is their window gone? No, I don't think that puts them in Minnesota territory or Buffalo territory. It just makes the job harder, a lot harder. Yeah, there's there's ways. It's not looking good right now, admittedly. Um, given what they have on the team and what they have in the system, there isn't a path to the cup that I can see. Um, but it only takes one or two home runs in a draft. Um, the doom and gloom outlook that actually has a positive twist is next year the red wings will be back in the division where they're getting the ever-living shit kicked out of them regularly by florida tampa and toronto and boston um so 
Even though they have exceeded expectations this year, some of that is due to the fact that they play in the shittiest division in the league by a lot. Um, so don't underestimate that. They've got a bunch of wins against Columbus and Nashville and Chicago this year, and those aren't good teams. Um, so they're not going to have that luxury next year. So not that they, there's a very strong possibility they improve as a hockey team and actually decline in the standings next year. The worst person imaginable says, uh, finally draft coverage. It only makes sense since it's next week. Who do you have Detroit and Buffalo taking? Uh, random guess. Detroit, Beneers, Buffalo. They're going to be the ones to get Clark. That's my guess. Aaron Hudson says, greetings, boys. In a world where football almost fell apart during a pandemic, the Red Wings have become the only positive in my life. Uh, this truly must be end times. Question is, what player are you looking forward to seeing Big Mo Sider manhandle the most? Ooh, that's Kirby Doc for me. Or Brad Marchand, because that's funny. Uh, you only get one answer. You took mine. Yeah. Brendan Lemieux. Jacob Charlip says, uh, what's up, boys? Hope all is well and keep up the great work. Just got a golden retriever puppy and went with Gordy among the lack of Red Wings dog names, which leads me to the question, what's the next Elite Wings dog name and why is it obviously Mo? Oh, Mo is good. Um, I'm trying to think of... I'm trying to think of prospects. Phillips, is there anything with Zadina's name? Z? Yeah. ZZ Dog? I don't know. ZZ Dog. Verana's in pajamas says, Good day, Dud Duds, and a very reluctant hello to Brad. As you've been tweeting since the alleged accident, I can only be led to believe that the Ontario PD have you on house arrest and not locked up in a cell like you should be. Probably because you're a cop and they bent the rules. Anyways, hashtag Team Mika. One day she'll exact her revenge, and I hope it's live streamed. Uh, please use some of our Patreon bucks to get Mika a nice present instead of sitting in Ryan's slush fund for cruises or in the Bahamas or Evan's slush fund for more golf bets. Um, Jersey time. I accidentally skipped this in a previous episode and that's on me. Uh, favorite wings Jersey in your collection of a wings player who got traded. Steve Ott. <laughs> that is the ultimate answer. Mine's default. I only own one of someone who got traded, and that's Athanasiu. I don't own a traded Red Wings jersey, but I have a Brendan Shanahan jersey sitting around somewhere, and he obviously just didn't come back to the team. Actually, uh, hold on. Technically, Pavel Datsuk. Oh, yeah, Datsuk. Yeah, Datsuk was traded. That's right. That's the answer for me, too. Good call, Brad. Uh, as always, this comment has been brought to you by Stay Fresh Cheese Bags. When you're mounting a mutiny and need to keep podcast hosts quiet and captive, use Stay Fresh Cheese Bags to tie over their heads for the sweet, sweet relief of silence. Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, a Fournier company and a mutineer's choice. Um, Mike Seward says, with all this talk about Eisenman re-signing Blashill, what's the percentage you would give of Blashill to be re-signed? I'd go 75% right now. I'm pretty confident. 70 was the number that came to my mind. I'll go 69 then. <laughs> Logan Couture's broken ankle says, with the addition of Cider Vlano, healthy Burt, healthy Fabry, and the possible addition of a guy like Berggren, it's tough not to see this team in the 2021-2022 season finish around 7th to 10th from the bottom. Problem with that is the 22 and 23 drafts are very strong with guys like Wright, Savoy, Lambert, Bedard. Elite first-line talent Detroit lacks outside of Raymond. Do you see Eisman shying away from signing guys like Merrill, Stetcher, and Ryan this offseason? to improve those lottery odds it's almost as if, as if we bought if we bought them fully out at the wrong time especially with change in the draft lottery for 2022 
it's not going to make him hesitant. It sucks, though. There's, there's no way around this. The Red Wings, this is why we got so angry about the Red Wings getting jobbed in the draft lottery over and over and over again. Because for most teams, there is a shelf life at the bottom of the league. There's a shelf life for how long you're a contender. And it goes the other way because even if you are not accruing first overall, the crap you are, you're still accruing high picks. We still got... Zadina, Cider, Valeno, Raymond out of being bad. Um, so that that will make you better. The worst case here isn't the Red Wings don't get better because I don't think that's in the cards. I think the worst case scenario is they turn into the Minnesota Wild and they get just good enough to not be that relevant. So, um, And unfortunately, that's very much in the cards with how things have gone right now and with how it looks like they there's a realistic chance they go in the next few years. Uh, Evan selling dirty shoes on OnlyFans says it's crazy how far Atu Ratu fell last year. Uh, early rankings had him first or at least the top five. It'd be cool if the wings, uh, if he fell to the wings second first round pick, but I'm over this season anyways. Let's just have the draft. Um, unfortunate 2031 cap casualty Adam Ernie Stan Club says last episode he mentioned that a coach just might not want to coach in Detroit. So is there a chance that Blasha was offered an extension and has turned it down? Oh God, no, 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 no. Because he his next if he gets fired his next job won't be a head coaching job I don't think I think he'll be an assistant somewhere before no, he yeah. becomes it he he does not have a glowing resume for his next job application right now so he will want to hold on to this with both hands as long as he can uh, I don't this might be an unpopular opinion uh, among Wings fans but I unironically un- see Blash as an upgrade over some coaches like Vigneault or Ruff and I imagine one if not both of them as well as others will be fired this offseason. I could see a team taking a chance on Blash, seeing as how the Wings have played pretty well down the stretch, especially when you consider there's a strong case to be made that Gagne has been one of the five best players on this team over the past couple months. All that being said, I hope that Dingus never coaches the Wings again. Uh, Gerald McDonald says, hi, guys. Based on Eisman's history with coaches at Tampa Bay and the fact that Blash is still here, uh, what type of coach do you think he is looking for for the future? I don't know successful ones ones who can get the most out of teams when eisman is ready to compete eisman doesn't want this team to try to compete right now he knows that's not sustainable well i the easy answer would be here to say someone like john cooper which is ironic because for how much blashill and john cooper are compared to each other they couldn't be more different as coaches and in their coaching philosophies um so i really don't know i think the answer here would be a good one (laughs) Um, and our last question here is from why is Darren Helm says, Hey there, fellas. Oh no, we suck again. Playing around with the expansion draft tool on cap friendly. And all I can say is damn Seattle's going to end up with a seriously good team. There'll have to be a flurry of moves made before the draft in order for teams to protect, to better protect themselves. Stevie Y will be very busy. He's got to look into flipping Fulcher or Grice and panic or Nielsen to teams that need to meet protection requirements and recoup some assets. Now that I've dug deep into it, I realize it's way too early to guess what's going to happen or to make mock protected lists. I'll revisit near the end of June. However, one question. If Seattle picks an impending UFA and then they don't negotiate an extension with within 48 hours of the expansion draft and then Seattle can rescind their selection and take someone else. Uh, but what if they didn't? If I recall correctly, there not there a clause that would prevent that player from re-signing with their former team? If this is the case, then it would be a fantastic way for Seattle to screw over an opponent within the division like Colorado, 
which has few impending UFAs and not enough spots to uh, protect everyone. Brad, how could you? Evan69, Ozzy for Hall of Fame, stay fresh, cheese bags. So yeah, the rule is um, if a player is an impending UFA, they don't have to be protected. Seattle can pick them, but that player can just choose not to sign with them. They just own their rights for essentially 48 hours. Yeah, I guess Seattle can screw over teams. I don't know. I, I I don't think Seattle will be in the business of screwing over teams so much as leveraging their position as best they can. That's the way I see it, at least. Um, yeah, it's going to be interesting. A lot of teams have a lot of work to do, like you said, Joseph, to uh, kind of bring things in line for, for protection purposes. All right, that's this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. Um, thank you all for tuning in. There's a couple games between now and next episode, which is on Sunday. Um, there is a couple more games, both against Dallas, one on Thursday night and one on Saturday night. And then we will talk to you again on Sunday. Until then, thank you all so much for supporting us. Thank you to our sponsors, the FanDuel Sportsbook. Thank you all for tuning in. And to our name-level sponsors, Arjun Shanker, Eves Bartell on behalf of the Sarah Grand Foundation, Brett Bailey, Terry, driver of Evans Furkwagen, Taylor Tagel, Brandon M., Citizen High Five, Craig Kibble, Evans selling dirty shoes on OnlyFans, Greech, Hana Lee, Hassam Alkasem, Jacob Turner, Jake Kiefer, Jeremiah Dobo, Joe Santangelo, Kaylin Wood, Cody Stark, Kyle Hashman, Luke Johnson, Matt McKay, Matthew M. Rice, R.A., Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, Zach Spring, Andrew Bohan, Sam Bankson, Adam, I wish I could finish like Ernie, uh, Aggressive Viper, another former junior goalie turned golfer, Antonio Gracias, Connor Layton, and Evans Bingo Card, Fine, Crisco, Jeremy Brocker, John Evans, Joseph Minema, Josh Yelton, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Matt Keeler, as good as it gets, Stan Olson, Trevor Pebavar, Thank you all so much. Oh, and why is Darren Helm, of course, last but not least. Thank you all so much. We'll talk to you someday. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.